welcome to another Sunday Conversation presented by FingerLakesOne.com. I'm Josh Durso, and our guest this week is Maria Coleman. Today we're talking about a New York Times piece by Aaron Griffith titled, Why Are Young People Pretending to Love Work? It was published in January and begs the following, Why Do Young People Pretend They Love What They Do? And What's Causing This Phenomenon? It attempts to answer both, and a lot of young people tend to agree with the sentiment behind the story. It's hustle culture, the internet, and a lot of other things. Uh, We're going to talk about all of that with Maria, who works in the marketing world and community theater. Uh, Enjoy our conversation, and don't forget to visit anchor.fm slash sundayconversation to find the program on your favorite platform like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many, many more. Enjoy, guys. So, Maria, thanks for coming in. Thanks for uh, taking the time to talk with us about this. Obviously, you and I, we we started talking about this on social media. Mm -hmm. And this started on on Twitter. And this story, um, it struck both of us in a pretty personal way. And as it turns out, it struck a whole lot of people pretty personally. Um, Your let's start with your background and sort of how this sort of fits into your uh, your life and, and how you've sort of experienced this always on the go, always hustling uh, mentality that everybody, uh, say ages 20 to to 40, seems to have just embedded in them for one reason or another. Yeah, I certainly put myself in that crowd. Um, My background, I studied theater in school. I've been working um, kind of in the nonprofit world and marketing and fundraising. So I have the background of running social media accounts for a nonprofit and also the upkeep of my own personal social media accounts, but I can definitely relate to the hustle as this article talks about um, because my life, for instance, I have my day job. I am involved with a lot of um, community theater, which takes up a lot of the evening time. So I feel like I, for the most part, am constantly on the go eight in the morning until work is over and then after work with rehearsals, performances, other, other endeavors. So to that end, is it kind of like, because I talked to a lot of my friends about it and, and they kind of had this attitude of, well, that's just what we have to do. That's just what we have to do, right? And it kind of seems like that's um, the message that, that the author of this particular piece was trying to get across. Um, when when you read it and you started to sort of put this in context with everything else that's that you have going on personally... Um, at any point, I wonder, did you start to think to yourself, gee, I kind of... I guess I didn't really look at it this specifically before, or was it kind of one of those things where you're like, oh yeah, I, I, I know that. I, I've, I, I know it, I just haven't admitted it. Yeah, I think it was me reading it and then realizing, oh, I do this, I know, a lot. I see this a lot when I'm scrolling through social media. So it was sort of a reminder, but also I liked the way the article was specific and had different quotes. So. It was also a different viewpoint that I had. I had never thought of this subject in depth mm-hmm. that much. So, let's get let's get to the actual question of of the piece. Are are young people, is anyone, faking, enjoying or loving their their job? Do you really do, do you think? Because that's that's sort of the the issue that I was wrestling with mm-hmm. as I as I read it. Is like, well. Sure, we all complain. We all have bad days. Mm-hmm. That's normal. Mm-hmm. Um, we obviously, with social media, have a platform to do a whole lot more complaining than we ever have before. Um, but at the same time, it's like, I, I guess I'm not really sure I've seen that many people who are just coming to work every day 
miserable and not mm -hmm. making a change. Right. I think it really goes to the fact that people of this generation, they don't want that 30-year career that they might hate going to work every day, but it pays the bills. That's not enough for people of my age, of our ages. We want something that connects with our passions that we're able, of course, not every day is going to be sunshine and roses and everything, um, but we want the majority of our job to be enjoyable and be something that we're passionate about, be able to, that we can connect to on a deeper level. So I think if somebody is in a position where they don't feel that way, it might be that they're in that position for a while, but I think they're wanting to get out and wanting to get to that point where it's not really a job, it's enjoyment. Yeah, and I guess maybe that's sort of the city aspect of this versus the, the non-urban. And when mm -hmm. I'm saying urban, I'm not saying like Rochester, Syracuse, Binghamton, yeah. Albany City. I'm thinking like uh, D.C., New York, L.A., like those types of places where it mm -hmm. is more of a daily grind. Um, mm -hmm. do you, how much of this do you think is sort of connected to, um, Gary Vee obviously was referenced in this story and he's probably one of the loudest and most, uh, publicly ambitious people on the planet. Mm -hmm. Um, or at least that's the, that's what people see. That's his brand. Um, how much of, of social media is sort of contributing to the, this negativity or this drain around like, Oh my God, this is, is this really what I have to do? Do I have to like be at work or thinking about work 16 hours a day to actually make it in whatever I want to do if it's my passion? Yeah, I think definitely from the standpoint of um, running a social media account for a business, I think when you're in that position, you are thinking of it constantly because you have your scheduled posts that you put out every day to promote your events or what's happening in history that day or whatever connects to that institution. But then you might have something that's, say, on TV in prime time that also relates to your institution and you don't want to be offline during that time. So now you're putting in those extra hours, you're thinking off the clock and, you know, for the greater good that it's going to draw more people to that business and reach a greater following. So then the question becomes how, how much damage are we doing to ourselves in allowing this sort of merging of personal and professional? It, obviously social media blurs those lines, but then in the actual, like when you look at yourself in the mirror and when you start to, you know, try to unwind, <laughs> is it even possible? Are we getting to a point where it's just, do we have to accept it? I think I had this thought this morning as I was driving to work that I don't even think of my cell phone as a phone anymore. I think of it as a social media device that occasionally I need to make calls on. So that thought came to me, but I think I think social media is so ingrained in our day-to-day -day life that we don't feel we're successful unless we have the, you know, however superficial, um, you know. The affirmation. Yeah. yeah. So unless we see that, we don't feel like we're doing enough, or maybe that just makes us feel better and more confident about what we're doing. So I think it's just so closely tied together that you can't really break the two up anymore unless you were to just not be on social media. Is there an element of, at least in your own experience, um, that things become a little easier during those times when you do disconnect, when you do shut it off, or when you do take that 
that cell phone and just sort of turn it off and throw it over there for a while? Yeah, I think, I don't know. I, I don't even know that I've done that <laughs> too much, Right, really. That's, that was yeah, one of the I things that even, I was thinking about coming in here. Yeah, I was like, I can't even remember. I, can't even, I bought this phone uh, probably like a month ago now, and I just turned it off and turned it back on for the first time mm -hmm. the other day because I was like, oh, I should probably turn it off and turn it on every once in a while. I literally did that for the first time like three days ago. I think the few times I've tried to disconnect, it hasn't been for a weekend or you know an extended yeah. amount of time, but even trying for a few hours and I start to get distracted and think, am I missing out on something? What's happening? I need to at least check if I have a notification. Yeah. So it's just, it's so compulsive. So when you first read this, the first tweet you sent out in response to the tweet that I had pushed out was, I'm not sure how I feel about this, something to that effect. Um, walk me through what that mindset was and what you were thinking the first time you read it, not after you read it, you know, a half yeah. dozen times and started thinking about all the different aspects of it. Yeah, I just, I, I think I was thinking from all different angles all at once, thinking yeah. of myself say in the theater world and wanting to promote myself on social media, myself as um, working at a nonprofit and running their social media account and wanting them to gain a bigger following. And so all these different viewpoints were just swirling around in my head. And my first thought was, okay, I see myself on my own social media accounts. I always want to appear that I'm busy, that I'm doing something interesting. I only really post on some of them when I am doing something interesting or it looks like I have a life or whatever. Um, so I was That's just, all of us. That's yeah. literally all of us on social So media. it was interesting just to have it presented to me because I didn't go into reading the article thinking I'm going to have this kind of revelation and have to think about this and deal with this. It was just, oh, let's scroll through this article. And then all of a sudden it was resonating and it made me just kind of do a double take and take a step back and really analyze what I do with mm -hmm. social media. Now, how do you think that's different for somebody who obviously you work in marketing, that's sort of your life. And when you're not working in marketing, you're in, you're in the community theater line of business. So that's sort of another aspect that you're trying to promote and talk mm -hmm. about um, on those platforms. How do you think that's different? And I, I, this is one of the questions I always think about is like, I wonder what it's like for people who don't have to be on social media all the time. Because like if yeah. you're a reporter, if you're a news editor, if mm -hmm. you're in marketing, like your life revolves around right. social media. But there are people out there who, you know, you have a traditional office job, you don't need to be on social media. Maybe you're on LinkedIn talking up your, your employer from time mm -hmm. to time or something like that. Yeah. But it's not, it isn't a part of that daily life as much as other, as other jobs are. So I guess... Do you ever think about that part of it in sort of like that, uh, I guess the way I do is sort of wishful thinking. It's like, wow, I, I wish I could do that. I wish I could be completely disconnected for weeks on end like I know some of my friends are. <laughs> yeah. I've thought about it a little bit and I almost feel like I wouldn't like it as much mm -hmm. because then, I don't know, I feel like it's part of who I am at this point and definitely I think in the arts and in those careers with entertainment, acting, artists, all of that, your social media following and your presence is tied with how people perceive your success. So if you have a larger following, if your work is out there more, if it looks like you're working regularly um, and doing all of that, then it looks like you're succeeding. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't, 
it's hard to even imagine right? not <laughs> having to do that. And then what do you talk about? Right. Well, and then the the sort of the what you had just pointed out is sort of that credibility factor. The more followers you have, the blue check mark, like mm -hmm. all these different things um, that contribute to what some people perceive as being the, you know, the boxes you have to check off as you move through these different careers. Um, to that end, is that even a, a race that can be won? I mean, it, it, people talk about the rat race mm -hmm. in a corporate environment, but this is almost like one of those things where the rules of social media are changing by the day. You can't even get verified on Twitter right now because right. Twitter is a, a hot mess. Mm -hmm. um, where does that sort of leave uh, folks like us who are left trying to, and really, Twitter, I think, is probably the best social platform out there. Maybe Instagram's a, a yeah. little better, a little more focused, but I think that depends on what your line of work is. Mm -hmm. um, if you're trying to get information out there, though, Twitter is it. Uh, chasing the blue check mark, chasing the followers, is that really screwing us up, our generation up, the next generation that's coming up behind us? I mean, I think in some cases, but I also think it's a motivator because... Mm -hmm that gives you something else to strive for and to set your focus on, to keep working, to keep doing what you're doing. So I think it can be looked at as a motivator, but also, of course, as just a depressing thought of where do I exist in this sphere of the world and what matters really. Um, well, and then the, so you're a great example, I think, of someone who's pretty diversified in terms of what they're doing. Like, you know, you're working social media during the day and community theater at night. How do you, and this is sort of one of those, I, I think, if you were giving a tip to someone who's, say, 18, 19 years old, really just starting to set out on this, um, what do you tell them? Like, what do you, how do you tell them to use social media in a good way, in a responsible way mm -hmm. that allows them to capture everything? if that's what it's going to be used for, because that seems to be what we're mm -hmm. using it for now. I mean, I think the bottom line is just being authentic. Don't try to be someone else or put on an act. You have to come across as yourself. That's the only way you're going to make those connections, because I think you really can make a lot of really great connections online and meet new friends, make business connections that will help you down the road. But I think the key to that is just remaining true to yourself, remaining authentic, don't put on a show. Um, also because of the fact that social media is so prevalent that employers look at your pages if you're in the hiring process. Um, mm -hmm. So they're looking at your Twitter account to see what you're posting. And that could make or break a job. Fair game. Or, Do you think yeah. that's one of those really hot button issues with a lot of folks right now? Do you think that's a that's a, a fair game um, place for employers to go? I think it is because I mean, especially if your um, social media platforms are public. I mean, if they're right. private, no one can see it, obviously. But by making that choice that it's out there and it's public, you have to assume that anyone and they will look at it. People are curious. They want to know who is that person behind the persona sitting at the desk in the job interview? Who's the real person? And are those two similar? Mm -hmm. So I think that's a way that employers could really look at you as a person. To that end, do you think it's time, and this is one of the things that I'm always thinking about, is like, I, we probably need to do a better job of teaching kids at a younger age how to responsibly use social media, mm -hmm. even though all those things are, are 
so new and there's always new platforms sort of bubbling up to the surface. Um, does there need to be more sort of advocacy and education for those young folks who maybe might be picking up some bad habits along the way? Yeah, I think it's I think it's important for parents to I think realize how big social media is. Don't discount it or forbid it or anything because mm -hmm. it's part of everyday life <laughs> at this point. But to I think really be open about it, to be able to talk about it, um, and teach children that it does have an impact it carries with you. It's going to be there forever, and even if you delete it, it could still be there. Um, so I think just awareness is the key there. And what about the parents? Because that, that is now, when I look at, I use Facebook as an example. You look at Facebook, it is a dumpster fire. I mean, it is just some of the worst things in the world wind up being on Facebook. Um, and there does oh, gosh, seem to all the be this selling things. <laughs> yeah, like that's the, that that is one of them. Yeah. But then you get all the you adding all the political stuff, all the mm -hmm. ads, all the. It's just, it's a really messy forum. Um, so I guess where where, how do we go about educating our parents' generation, our grandparents' generation, like some of the people who are maybe now the heaviest users of a platform mm -hmm. like Facebook. Right. Um, is that a lost cause? Because that's one of those things where, you know, I'll hear like an aunt or an uncle, you know, talk about something that they saw on Facebook and the, it's probably some clickbaity, awful mm -hmm. thing that has no truth whatsoever to it. But right. they're talking about it like it is hard fact. Mm -hmm. And obviously there's a lot of talk about fake news all the time, but how do we go about educating that because we are effectively the experts now. That our right. generation is effectively the experts of this platform. How do you go about teaching to a group of folks who are 30, 20, 30, maybe 40 years our senior? I think it's being open, not being, not acting like you're the expert on anything, but having an open conversation, being helpful, just really trying to come from a place that's trying to help them and you know help them understand the site better help them be able to understand how to do different things on that platform better instead of saying no you're wrong <laughs> this right. is wrong so yeah. don't come defensive like that um, so i think just the approach is what's important there now to that end uh, obviously as someone who who works and has worked in the marketing field um, how much of that aspect plays into your thought process during the day when you're when you're working along on Facebook and all of a sudden you might see something or as you're crafting some sort of message to go out for a nonprofit or even mm -hmm. a small business how much of your thought process is sort of uh, focusing on how can i make this digestible for someone who maybe isn't the most tech savvy person in the world yeah. I think that's definitely important. That's one of the first things I think of is um, you can't have the same exact post for Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter because your audiences are completely different. Mm -hmm. So it's being aware that your Facebook following is um, primarily you know, the older generation. The Instagram, primarily younger. Twitter, you can kind of get in the middle and <laughs> in both ends of the spectrum. But you really, I think, have to cater to that in the way that you word things and the phrasing, the type of post it is. Um, for instance, 
you know, on Instagram, you have the boomerang videos yeah. that you can do, which yeah. are popular, but that wouldn't necessarily be appropriate in a Facebook post promoting the same event or same subject because that older crowd might not know what it is. They might mm-hmm. think it's juvenile or <laughs> um, unprofessional or, you know, yeah. so they might not connect to it. So it's just being aware of your audiences. And to that end, then how do we sort of account for um, the young people who are going to see things that maybe they shouldn't see or maybe they wouldn't have ordinarily seen 10 or 20 years ago until they were maybe 18, 19, 20 years old? Um, How do you sort of account for that on the the marketing side of it? I think, at least from the nonprofits I've come from, you want a larger young audience because Mm -hmm. in some cases, these museums, these nonprofits, they have the older audience already because those are the people who grew up doing that, who grew up going to these places. So the struggle is connecting with the younger generation, and I think it's following them to the platform they're on. Like right now, Instagram is the fastest growing social media site. Everyone's using their Instagram stories, not even Snapchat stories anymore yeah. in the last few years. So I think it's being aware of what is big among the younger generation and putting yourself there and kind of adapting how you post things to connect with them. Cause it's, I think it's about finding that common ground. Mm-hmm. Now, is there a, I, I'm really curious about this. Is there a perception uh, about, obviously there's a perception about work ethic within our generation that we, particularly Gen Xers in the older crowd, uh, they tend to think that we are lazy. We are a lot of things, we are definitely lazy. Um, but to that end, is there a lack of understanding just how much time, energy, and effort actually has to go into maintaining, say, a Facebook account, Twitter account, Instagram account, and wherever else a nonprofit or small business might be trying to focus their energy? Yeah, I think, I mean, I can remember uh, getting a post ready for, say, Facebook, and um, you would have your plan, you'd have to find what picture would work for it, take the picture, make sure it's the right one, get all these different angles to choose from, you know, proofread your caption. And it could, I think for one post, you could easily spend, you know, a good half hour, 45 minutes making sure that everything is correct and right and it's the way you want it to appear. So I think it is much more time consuming than some people think Mm -hmm. it is. Now, to that end, obviously, um, I, I think it seems like that's part of what creates the hecticness in our schedules. Um, social media, the way it's sort of scattered, the way a lot of people will, um, especially in the marketing world, I have friends who manage a dozen or more social media accounts for various, uh, various organizations and people on a freelance basis. Um, when you're in that situation, and I'm sure you have friends who have been in that situation, or maybe you've been in that situation mm-hmm. yourself, how how on earth do you maintain your your sanity and also maintain a workflow that doesn't just completely crush you over a, over a short period of time, whether it's multiple accounts or multiple different folks and businesses that you're doing it for? I think it's important to stay organized, to have a plan. I would always have a spreadsheet that <laughs> would be color-coded and everything with mm-hmm. dates and captions and as much information as I could pre-plan. So I think just being prepared and organized is key, but also just to speak to what you said about the larger aspect of being overworked and the the hustle and everything. It's finding your hobby that keeps you sane, I think. 
because right. you have this nonstop work world and then you need to have something at the end of the day that you can go and do and that's where your sanity is. Well, and then you have the aspect of, you know, young people particularly working two, three, maybe four jobs to make ends meet because of the economic situation that's sort of been created in this digital world. Um, and at what point do you uh, reach back and sort of say, okay, this is too much? Or how do you go about turning it off where you say, okay, I'm going to tone back a little bit here so that I have a little more time here? Um, it's hard, but I think it's important. There was this talking about, um, oh, this quote about millennials are just desperately striving to meet their own high expectations. An entire generation was raised to expect that good grades and extracurricular overachievement would reward them with fulfilling jobs that feed their passions. Instead, they wound up with precarious, meaningless work and a mountain of student loan debt. <laughs> so I, th I thought of that quote. Um, well, but I think it's... So when you're going through the, this whole process and we're living social media every single day, is there a point where, where the whole, well, you need to be working harder. You need to be hustling harder. Does that wear off and eventually you get to a point where you're like, I can't, like this isn't working. This clearly is not working. Um, and is there sort of a, a responsibility or an obligation from the employer side to make sure that the balance exists? I think it is important for an employer to recognize that the employees need a work-life balance. They can't just be expected to work constantly and be on the clock or on call constantly. So I think it's important for bosses to have boundaries, um, like saying, I'm not going to send emails over the weekend or expect a response over the weekend or little things like that. And I think that actually goes a long way in helping employees have more of a work-life balance, to be happier, to be able to juggle it a little easier if they know that their boss isn't expecting them to be on the clock all the time. So I think it's just, it's good to have an open line of communication there and really be able to be candid and talk about the struggles and talk about what's expected, you know, how important it is to have downtime and just the value that bosses see in that. Biggest life lesson you've learned working through social media, being a young person, uh, working in this, in this uh, hustle hard uh, world we live in? Truly, I just, I think almost every day as I'm scrolling through Twitter, for instance, of all the great people I've met, because I've really formed some, you know, five, six year friendships that maybe we've met in person once or twice, maybe not at all, mm -hmm. but they're really good friends. We talk about everything. We talk almost every day. So I think that's what, especially the older generation, doesn't maybe connect with as much. The whole perception of, oh, the online strangers could be dangerous, all of that. But I think you can really forge some lasting, meaningful friendships. And that's something I'm just grateful for every day when I open in a social media app. So if you could turn back the clock, go back five years, uh, give yourself a piece of advice uh, that you've picked up along the way, what would that uh, what would that be or where would you start? What would you tell yourself to maybe make the last five years a little easier? Gosh. Um, Only slightly putting you on the spot here. <laughs> <laughs> I almost think just don't worry so much mm -hmm. because things have a way of working out in the end. Mm -hmm. I, I really believe that 
what's meant to happen in life will happen. Things happen for a reason. So I would just tell myself, don't stress too much. Really enjoy the moment. All right. Appreciate the time. Appreciate you coming up. Um, where can folks find you if they're looking to connect with you on social media? Um, so I am on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of that, uh, at the Maria Eliz, E-L-I-Z at the end. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you.